Welcome to the house of God. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Today we received the word title on the screen is we feed on giants. I'll explain that in a moment, although some of you would be able to reference that if you know the book of numbers. But first of all, let me say thank you for your faithful attendance to the house of God, for your support, <clears throat> prayers, worship, the gathering of God's people. We haven't been shut down, nor do we have to go underground. And so we believe as long as we can be open, we're going to be open. I think it's ill-advised for believers to stay home or for churches to close when the battle is so on the line today. We need to have our churches open as much as possible. And <clears throat> even though we've been restricted now to 15% for a season, uh, with the size of our building and some overflow, we can accommodate at least 300 people per service. And so we can run multiple services as the hunger of the saints is. We must not forsake our mission to spread the gospel. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, Jesus said. That's the corporate aspect of his church. We're lights individually, but a city is a corporate gathering of God's people, and we want to be that light for the Lord and shine for him. Hallelujah. Thank you for your support. Thank you for the prayers, everything you do to help this work of God. This morning, we feed on giants. I want to begin with a scripture in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We know the battles on the line. We understand the powers of darkness and the light of the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision to go and turn people from the power of Satan to the power of Christ, to turn them from darkness to light. Matthew 4.13, Jesus came in his incarnation, raised up in his ministry, 30 years of age, it says, and leaving Nazareth, Jesus came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, to the Jew first, but also to the nations, the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, I'm here. The kingdom of God is being established. The light of God has come. Turning the people from darkness to light with the message of repentance and to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, for in him is life. In John chapter 1 and 4 to 9, the Bible says, In him was life, the God life. Not simply biological, human, physical life, which is the portion of every person born into this world, but we need to be born again. We need to enter the kingdom of God. We need the God life, Zoe. In him was Zoe, the God life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it, extinguish it, or put it out. Notice the present tense of that phrase. The light shines. The light continues to shine to this day, and the darkness could not put it out. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus Christ is the true light. Light is a person. The God life is in a person. Salvation is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Luke chapter 2, in verses 8 to 11, that first holy Christmas Eve night, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The night was lit up with the glory of God, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, whosoever will may come that none should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. I bring you good tidings of great joy to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When the Lord introduced his Son into this world, he brought him in in the night, because this world is a world of darkness. It was not simply so there could be a spectacular display of the glory of God the night that Jesus was born into the earth, although that would have been fitting in itself. But the Lord was sending a message. It's a world of darkness. It's a world of death. The people are asleep. I'm sending my son into this world as the light that whoever believes on him will not perish but come out of darkness and death and come into the everlasting life of God, the God life, the Zoe, supernatural, transcendent life of God. What a victory is ours. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ comes as light into the world. He said, I am the true light. I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness confusion, futility, but we'll have the light of life. Then he said to the disciples, you as well are the light of the world. Go and shine. And he said a city, speaking of his church, and the churches around the world, light set on a hill, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's shine. Let's work against the darkness. Let's push against the darkness. Let's penetrate the darkness. Let's overcome the territory of Satan, the power of darkness and death, and bring the light of the gospel and bring the message of Jesus Christ to people. It's an hour that the Lord is calling us in a fresh way as a church to begin to move in fresh measure against the darkness of a city, the darkness of this world, and again to bring the very light of God. While the shepherd's fields experience the glory of God, people about their normal occupations in this world, and I think of it, but the light of God will come upon them. In the darkness that they are, their night will be shattered, and the light and glory of God will come if we can get the message of Jesus Christ to them. Hallelujah. Well, that's as close as I'm going to come to the Christmas story today. I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do more or less. But Christmas Eve service, we'll be right focusing in the traditional Christmas story. This morning we must move on. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Talking about pushing back the darkness. Gaining influence for Jesus Christ. Saving souls. Pushing back the darkness in a city. Matthew 14, 8 to 9 relates to Israel and the promised land, the land of Canaan, as they were commissioned by the Lord to take territory and bring the kingdom of God to bear on a certain land. Caleb and Joshua said, if the Lord delights in us, and I pray he does, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. We feed on giants. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. If the Lord delights in us, what a spirit of faith in Caleb and Joshua. Twelve spies went into Canaan. Ten came out with a bad report, and two came with a good report. The congregation was intimidated by the forces that they were going to face as they brought the presence of God and the life of God into a land. 
But Caleb said, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. If the Lord delights in us, he'll give us this land, a land which flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the darkness. Don't fear the opposition. For they are our bread. Their protection, the Hebrew marginal in my Bible has their shadow has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. If the Lord delights in us. Canaan speaks in a number of ways. The Lord said, I want you to take the land. My people, I've, I've brought you out of Egypt. You're born again. You're baptized. You have the Holy Spirit. I want you to take the land. I want you to walk into Canaan, and I want you to extend my kingdom. Overcome giants. Overcome darkness. Bring light. Bring the knowledge of God to the earth. Canaan speaks of a Canaan life, an inheritance promised to you, and to me, on an individual basis, on a family basis, it speaks of a spiritual and temporal inheritance for you and your family. There is a Canaan life that God has for you. And as you walk the ground, every place that the sole of your foot treads, God has given you. And you can extend territory, territory, and you can gain an inheritance for you and maintain an inheritance and a life in this world for you and your family. Canaan speaks... Second of heaven. One day all enemies will be annihilated and destroyed. One day all darkness will be gone. Seven nations, God said, greater and mightier than you. But in the name of the Lord, one day this world will be turned into a paradise. This planet will be the paradise, the Canaan rest. It'll be heaven on earth, a new world wherein reigns righteousness and holiness and the kingdom of God. One day all enemies will be forever destroyed, and we will live forever in God's new world, the paradise, Canaan rest, Canaan life forever. But Canaan also speaks of a Canaan world, that God called his people to go in and overcome giants, overcome enemies, and establish the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light, of the knowledge of the Lord. Israel was to be in the, among the nations of the world as a light of salvation. That other nations in darkness and idolatry would look at the beauty of Canaan and look at the people of God and know that they had a different knowledge and a different spirit. And God said, I want you to go into the land. I want you to clear out some enemies. There are seven nations there, greater and mightier than you in your own power, but my power is with you. I want you to go into the land, and I want you to push back the darkness. I want you to push back the enemies and bring my light and salvation. Caleb and Joshua said, those, those giants are bread for us. Said God has made us. There's something about us in our born-again experience filled with the Holy Ghost. We feed on giants. We swallow up darkness. We feed on opposition. We feed on spiritual challenges. We feed. It fuels us. It fires us. It fills us to push back the powers of darkness and see people delivered and the knowledge of God come into the land, to see the kingdom of God established. We feed on giants. Is there anything more thrilling when you think about it than to see people saved, come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Broken homes restored, lives that have been damaged and bruised come to the knowledge of the Lord, now singing and dancing and praising in the house of the Lord. Wholeness of personality, saved and healed and ministered to, there is no greater thrill. We feed on giants. We feed on breaking the powers of darkness. Now, the people of God were intimidated, many of them. Not everybody had the spirit of Caleb and Joshua. But Caleb and Joshua said, let's not fear the opposition. Let's not fear the spiritual challenge that is before us as a church in the land. Because those enemies are bred for us. Not only that, he said their protection, their defense, their shadow is departed from them. Their shadow is departed from them. The Hebrew word 
is the word shadow or shade. And that's why I think all the translations have their protection, their shade, their defense is departed from them. But I think there's another meaning. Their shadow is departed from them. The enemy shows up like a giant. The enemy blows up his image. He appears large. He blows up his shadow. And the people of God are intimidated. They said, we can't take the land. We're like grasshoppers before these powers of darkness, the rulers of the land. Like grasshoppers in their sight and in our own sight. They'll step on us just like we step on ants. But Caleb and Joshua said, if you really see it from God's eyes, their shadow is departed from them. They are not what they appear. Intimidating threats, opposition, terrifying thoughts. People wondering, how can we break the powers of darkness? How can we really take the land for God and establish the kingdom of God? Their shadow is departed from them. The inhabitants of the world, the Bible says, are as grasshoppers before the Lord. They're grasshoppers. That's all they are. But they blow themselves up. The enemy casts a big shadow. A couple weeks ago, we had our conference weekend and I was interested to hear Pastor Russell Evans speak about an ordinary looking fellow who was walking down a dark alley at night just a normal fella and all of a sudden a light shone up from the alley and all of a sudden it projected an image on the wall that was huge and terrifying 15 feet to 20 feet high, this image. And a little boy turned down in the alley to go down the alley, and he saw this image on the wall, and he, scared out of his wits, ran back out into the street. But it was just a shadow. An ordinary fella wearing skinny jeans walking down the alley. The enemy, his shadow is departed from him. His shadow is departed. He intimidates us. He threatens us. We say, what can we do as the people of God? We have so little against so much. There's so much darkness. So much enemy power. But the Lord wants us to know their shadow is departed. The Lord is with us. He is our defense. He said, fear them not. Jo Joshua and Caleb said these words, let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. In the name of Jesus Christ, the churches and the people of God in this city, if we get to work, we can save every soul that has a heart to come to Jesus Christ. The enemies are bred for us. We feed on spiritual challenge. We feed on gospel ministry. If the Lord delight in us, if the Lord delight in us, I pray that we have the kind of spirit that the Lord would say, I delight in them. And I will work with them and I will lead them. That generation that came out of Egypt settled back into the wilderness. They said, we can't take the land. We can't extend the territory territory. It's too costly for us. We don't have the strength. We don't have the means. They were intimidated. They compromised. They said, we're saved. That's good enough for us. We're born again, baptized, filled with the Spirit. We're going to heaven. We've got nice homes. We're fed in the wilderness. We'll settle down here. But the Lord said, I want a generation like Caleb and Joshua that are going to say, let's go up against the darkness. Let's go up against the enemies. Let's push back the darkness. Let's pierce the darkness of this land. Revelation chapter 2. Seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Circular is meant to be sent out to all the churches of the world of that day. And here's a message to this church as well because these churches or these messages are for all churches of all time. Seven churches, but there was a church at 
Pergamos. And let's listen in, for these are the very words of the Lord to the church. And to the angel or the messenger, most likely the senior minister of the church in Pergamos, write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. said, I see where you dwell in the city. But where you dwell is also Satan's throne. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, most likely one of the pastors, was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. God says, I, I know where you dwell, and I know where Satan dwells. I know where Satan's throne is in the city. I know where he reigns. Then Jesus said, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, so they'd stumble and fall, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which was similar to the Balaam doctrine. Which thing I hate, Jesus says. Which thing I hate. There are things that Jesus hates, and he hates them in the church. He said, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent or else I will come to you. I'll come to this church in Pergamos, my own church, and I'll fight against them, those that practice the doctrines of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. I'll fight against them, Jesus said, with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, to him who conquers, these things. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. The promise to the overcomer. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Everyone overcome. Everyone overcome. The church at Pergamos. Pergamos means citadel. Pergamos, citadel of darkness, where Satan's throne is. I know where you dwell, Jesus said, as my believers, my saints in the city. I know where Satan dwells. I know where he has his throne, where he's Lord, the ruler of the darkness of this world, the God of this age, Satan's throne. Pergamos, citadel of darkness. Jericho, citadel of darkness. First and foremost city. God says, I want to give you a land. I want to give you Canaan. I want you to turn it into a land which flows with milk and honey. I want you to break the idolatry and the darkness and the immorality in Canaan. I want my righteousness, my peace, my joy, my loving reign to come into this region of the earth. They had to overcome Jericho. Not by usual weapons, but by supernatural weapons, the shout of victory, the march, the dance, the trumpets, the unity of God's people, and the walls came down. Jericho's citadel of darkness. Edmonton, citadel of darkness. And we know it's true. God knows where we dwell. He knows every Christian. He knows every Christian family, where we are. But he also knows where Satan dwells. He knows where Satan reigns, where Satan's throne is in this city. Now it's interesting that the city of Pergamos was the headquarters of the god Asclepius. Asclepius, the god of, of medicine, 
the God of healing. Asclepius, Pergamos was the headquarters. And this God of healing and medicine was worshipped as in the form of a serpent. The serpent could shed its skin and thus appear young again, and that's why it was a symbol of healing. It was a symbol of medicine. Wow, a renewal, a rebirth. You can stay young. You can stay alive once again. And the symbol of Asclepius was the serpent-entwined rod or staff. Serpent-entwined staff. It's the symbol that, in modified form, exists in our medical world today. Emergency vehicles and medical equipment and hospitals in modified form. It's not a direct relation, of course, to Asclepius, but that's where the symbol comes from. To the people of God, the snake was always a symbol of Satan. They were in the city, and Satan was in the city. Asclepius, this supposed god of healing and god of medicine. The Pergamos AHS, Asclepius Health Services. But if you live under Asclepius, if Satan is your Lord, if you're under the power of the serpent, it's dangerous to your health. Because you can spell health in more than one way. You can also spell it H-E-L-L-T-H. Either Satan is your Lord or Jesus is your Lord. And if you're under the power of Lord Satan, small l, it's dangerous to your health. We live under another symbol. Jesus said in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The reference is Numbers 21 in the Old Testament where the people sinned, the people were sinning, and as a result, fiery snakes and serpents went among the people and bit them and poisoned them, and the people were languishing, languishing and dying. And the Lord said to Moses, listen, in the midst of this sin, in the midst of this darkness and chaos, I want you to make a bronze serpent, a brass serpent, and put it on a pole and set it on high that whoever looks at that serpent on the pole shall live. And according to the faith and the spirit of the people, no matter how sick they were, no matter how demoralized, no matter how broken they were, no matter how near death they were, if they looked at that serpent that Moses had set on the pole, the Bible says when they looked with expectation, when they looked with a spirit of faith in God's promise, they lived. They came alive. The poisons went out of the, their body. The sickness went out of their body. And they lived by the power of God. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And there was a day when the Son of Man was lifted up. He took our sin. He took our sin nature. He took our serpent nature. He took our defilement. He took our devilishness. He took everything that the fall and Satan had worked in our lives and he bore it in his own body on the cross and that bronze judgment came upon him, the fire of God. And because he bore our sin and our judgment, because of him, now we can look and live. And how many are glad today that you looked at the Son of God on the cross and lived? And the poisons went out of your system. And the sin went out of your systems. And now you reign and live in the power and the life of God. Whoever will look shall live. Look to the Son of God. Look to Jesus Christ, the Savior of your soul. I don't know about you, but I love the AHS, ABBA Health Services. I love ABBA Health Services. 
No, I'm not against the AHS, of course, in our land, Alberta Health Services. I thank God for every medical advancement that helps the suffering of people and mankind. I do. Thank God. If it wasn't for the medical system, the Lord using them 15 years ago when I faced terminal disease, my life would have been taken. The Lord used them to save my life. I'm thankful for them. I believe in three avenues of healing, divine healing, doctors, and diet. But I prefer divine healing so much more. I love Abba Health Services. I love Jehovah Rophe. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Yahweh Physician. Many are practicing medicine. He is medicine. He is medicine. His words are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh, even to our flesh. His words are life to those that find them. You better search for the words of the Lord. Search and you will find. His words are life to those that find them and health healing to all their flesh. The Spirit of God that dwells in us quickens our mortal body, our mortal body, our physical body. Dr. Jesus came from Nazareth to heal the sick and raise the dead. And to those who believe on him, he will raise us up at the last day, perfected forever in a glorified body made unto his glorified body. I love Abba Health Services. Now let's go on in Revelation chapter 2, place where Asclepius had his headquarters. The serpent was there, promising people things, promising them life, promising them healing, promising them renewal. You can shed your skin. You can modify your nature. All you need is a little more philosophy, a little re-education. But it's the same old lie. Unless somebody deals with our sin, we can't ultimately change. Then Jesus said, I know where you dwell. He said, I know where you dwell, where Satan is. The Lord knows where we dwell today and what a comfort that is to our hearts. He looks down in this city day and night and he sees the homes of the righteous. He sees our, our worship. He sees us seeking to do his will, raising our families in the will of God, praying and worshiping. He sees wherever we are. The voice of rejoicing and salvation, the Bible says, is in the homes of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord still does valiantly. The Lord redeemed us. He rescued us. We're marked out in this city. We're homes of light. We're churches of light in a dark world. But he said, I know where Satan dwells as well. And he's in your city. He's got his throne there. And the truth is the church at Pergamos became so compromised and casual that they could no longer unseat Satan as they should have. They got too close to the world. Became too compromised and they couldn't deal with the powers of darkness in their city as they should have. Jesus said, I know where Satan dwells. He said, I see the homes where children are mistreated and neglected. He sees the people that are suffering in this city today. Women that are weeping. Men that are in despair. Don't have what it takes to overcome their flesh life. And the destruction that it brings. People in futility, people in despair, looking at their life, knowing they only have a few decades, and seeing how unable they are to govern and control this life and their own lives. Under the power of Satan, no knowledge of God, no spirit of rejoicing, no song of the Lord, no light of the gospel and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I know where Satan dwells. 
and you're in that city, and I want you to push back the darkness. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to love people. I want you to go to the lonely and the broken. I want you to go to the rich and the poor. I want the light and the message of the gospel to be in your city. I want everybody to have to reckon with a decision of the name of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God in heaven and hell. I want my name exalted in the city. Jesus said to this church, but I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Also those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of Balaam, if you check back in the book of Numbers, was simply this. Get the people of God into partying and immorality and sin will take them down, and the enemy will overcome them. Partying and immorality, Jesus said, I hate those. I don't want you in the world. I want you clean and holy and pure. Doctrine of the Nicolaitans, same. It was this worldliness in the church. Worldliness in the church. And the church wasn't correcting it. Jesus said, you need to correct this. He said, I don't want you to be so politically correct, so unoffensive in your own congregation that you don't deal with sin and immorality and unrighteousness when you see it and are aware of it. He said, I want discipline in my church. He said, that's all come to you. I'll come to you because you haven't been doing the proper order, but I'll fight with them. The doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans basically says this, according to G. Campbell Morgan, as long as a person's creed is right, their conduct doesn't so much matter. As long as my belief is right, my conduct doesn't matter so much. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm secure in Christ, so if I indulge in sin here and there, it's not going to affect my spirituality or my eternal salvation. But Jesus said, I've come to the end. I want to deal with that in my church. And I wonder if he's dealing with it today in the churches. Apostle Peter said, the time has come. The judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin first with us, what shall the end be of those who do not obey the gospel? For if the righteous scarcely be saved, saved but worldly, saved but indulging the flesh, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? We must judge ourselves by the word. We must judge ourselves by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you should be judging yourselves. You should be judging the church. Get the worldliness. Get the compromise. Get the casualness. Get the immorality out of the church so I don't have to turn my sword against you. I mean, how tragic. Jesus said, lest I have to come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus doesn't want to fight against the believer. He doesn't want to fight against the church. But there comes a point where he says, I'm, I'm going to have to clean house. I've got to judge my house. I've got a mission. My people are in a city where Satan's throne is, where Satan dwells. And I need them pure, and I need them holy. I need a salvation army that's going to walk with prayer power, with the witness of the gospel in these cities. It's tragic when... The two-edged sword of the Lord that should be devouring and biting against the enemies, bringing down enemy powers, has to lay off the harvest to deal with the church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the overcoming one. Jesus said, I want you to be overcomers. Everyone overcome. He said, overcome, live holy, live righteous, walk with me, be fervent, be filled with the Spirit, be on fire with the Spirit of God. 
Repent of worldliness. Repent of immorality. Turn your life around. Follow me with all your heart. He said, I'll give you the hidden manna, the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ himself. Wow. Teat of the bread of heaven. Teat of the very Son of God and be satisfied. And beyond that, the hidden manna, which was in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. Revelation. Revelation that can only be found in the presence of God. Understanding of the Word that can only be found in the presence of God. Inspiration from the Word that will cause you to live forever. That, it can, that can only be found in the intense presence of God. He said, I'll give you a white stone. The rock nature. Pure, holy nature of Christ. The divine nature. Incorruptible, undefiled enduring, permanent. It's not sand. It's rock. It'll endure forever. I will put my holy, pure, righteous, divine nature into you, and you will live forever and abide forever. And he said, in that stone, I'll give you a new name. I'll give you a new name, which no one knows except him who receives it. To every Christian, Jesus gives a new name. And you know who you are in Christ. Other people may not know. They may say this or that. But you know who you are in Christ because he's spoken to you and he's given you a promise and he's given you a name, a new destiny, a calling, a ministry. You know who you are in this world. Now, sometimes he reveals it. Simon, you shall be called Peter, a rock. Levi, let's change your name to Matthew. A gift from God. Sat at the custom. Stealing from the people. Exaggerating the tolls and taxation. Let's give you a new name, gift from God. Jacob, that supplanter, that conniving spirit, I call you Israel, a prince with God. Sometimes he reveals it and reread in the word of God and we draw life from it because we can identify with every individual in the Bible because we're of the same human nature. But sometimes nobody really knows our name, but we know in the inside who we are. Hidden manna, a white stone, and a new name to him who overcomes. These are the promises of God. The promises of God. Now let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. Pergamos, citadel of darkness. Where you dwell, where Satan dwells. Edmonton, citadel of darkness. Where you dwell, where Satan dwells. Luke eleven twenty, Jesus came in his ministry, came to bring forth the kingdom of God, bring blessing on the people, bring them out of darkness into light, bless them with health and healing and joy in their homes, bring them into understanding. They could walk their life out in destiny and know the living God and have a relationship with the eternal God, to be under the blessing and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He came and he said, but if I cast out demons, he said, if I deal with, with Satan's seat in your cities, cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. A kingdom of darkness now a kingdom of light. I don't know about you, but I'm addicted to light in this dark old world. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you when a strong man, Satan, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his souls. I mean spoils. Because the greatest treasure are the souls of men and women. When Jesus comes upon him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Say, well, I don't do much for the gospel. I don't witness to people. I hardly ever tell anybody about Jesus and what he's done. I don't really get that involved. He who does not gather with me scatters. 
There's no neutral ground for the Christian. We're called. We're called to gather. We're called to go against darkness. We're called to go against the strong man, take his armor, divide his spoils. In Matthew 12, 28, similar scripture. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? How do we bind the strong man? You can't plunder his goods. You can't unseat Satan from his throne. You can't cast him out of his dwelling places. We can't in this city until we first bind the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. How do we bind the strong man? How do we overcome Satan in this city? It's the same as it's always been. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. By the name of Jesus, Savior and Lord. By the teaching of the word of God. By prayer and intercession and fasting. By yearning for the presence of God and going against the powers of darkness. It is written, get away from me, Satan. Get the hands away with you, Satan. We begin to push against the darkness. We push in our gospel ministry. We preach the gospel. We go out into the streets and the highways and byways. We go out with the lighthouse. We go out into the regions. And as you go day by day, there you are. You're pushing against the darkness. That's how we bind the strong man and overcome him. And the kingdom of God comes into people's lives lives, light and salvation and the glory of God. Satan pushes hard. He's strong, but there's a stronger than he. And in the name of our Lord, we push against the darkness and we carry the light of the gospel. There's an interesting scripture in Deuteronomy 28 verse 7. It says, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The enemy comes, the Bible says, one way, but he flees seven ways. You know why? Because he comes at us and he runs into the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says, I can't handle that. And in panic, he flees. He comes against us once again, and he runs into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that is higher than any other name, not only in the world to come, but in this world. When the Roman cohort, those 200 Roman soldiers, came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, all he said was, I am. And they sprawled backward in the, in the bushes, smitten down by the presence of God. The enemy runs up against the name of the Lord and he's knocked out. Scrapes himself up off the dirt and flees. He comes against us and runs into the presence of Jesus Christ, which the Bible says is like a wall of fire around us, like a wall of fire around the church. He rushes against us, but he hits the felt presence of God, singed and smarting. He flees back to his place. He runs up against us and hits our prayer shield. A praying church, interceding, fasting, praying, calling on God, laboring for souls, travailing for people to be saved and won to Christ. He runs into that prayer shield. He's, the wind is knocked out of him. You won't have to worry about him for a few days. But he'll be back. Runs against us. Runs into our worship warfare. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he devour. But when he hears the roar of praise coming out of the tribe of the Lion of Judah, he plugs his ears, he covers his ears. He says, I can't handle that. He flees off the battlefield. Runs up against us. We take the two-edged sword of the Spirit. It really punctures snake skin. That's what it's really good at. It is written, it is written. Turns around and runs comes at us one way, but he's scattering. He's fleeing always. He runs into our financial generosity, our tithes and our offerings and our alms given for the work of God, given to 
touch widows and orphans and vulnerable people and people that are hurting. He runs into our gospel mission, into our testimony. Hundreds of children that are sponsored by this church in other parts of the world and pastors and missionaries and pastoral teams and churches and in this city alone to touch and reach people. Satan runs into that. He flees. He says, I have no match for that. The gospel mission of God's people, the ministry and power. Satan comes against us one way and flees seven ways. You can make up your own list, but the one I just gave you, I don't mind. Let's push against the darkness. Worship team, come. Let's push against the darkness. I know where you dwell, Jesus said. I'm so pleased with your homes. Worship and joy, love of God, my salvation. You are to the praise of my glory. You honor, you magnify my mercy in how I deal with people, how kind I am, how loving I am. I know where you dwell. I love to hear your prayers. I love to hear your songs. I love to hear your children singing. But he said there's places in the same city where Satan dwells. He's still Lord. He's got his throne. I want you to push against the darkness. Push against the darkness. Pray. Ask God to lead you. Some of you with your occupation, you're able to deal with people, share the light of God. But as a church in this city, let's be a praying church, a worshiping church, a gospel outreach church. Let's do everything we can to bring people out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord. May we be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus said to the apostle Paul, as he was in one city, of the ancient world. Things were difficult and there was pressure against them and there was much opposition. The Lord said to him, I still have many people in this city. I still have many people in this city. You keep going with the gospel. You keep bringing healing. You go to the widows. You go to women. You touch men's lives. You touch the young people. You touch the children. I have much people in this city, says the Lord. Now go against the darkness. For the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the region of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Let's stand together this morning. If you're here and you have never committed your life to Jesus, open up your heart. Say, Jesus, I need you. Be my Savior, be my Lord wash me, cleanse me, break the serpent power, break the sin power that's in my life. I want eternal life. I want the God life. There's anyone here this morning and the doctrine of Balaam has gotten into your spirit. Repent of your worldliness this morning. Repent of immorality. Repent of a casual spirit. Join the Salvation Army. Say, I'm going to serve God with all my heart and do everything I can to extend the kingdom of God in my generation, in this time and place, and let it go out to the ends of the world. Hallelujah. Let's offer ourselves to the Lord this morning. Surrender our hearts to the Lord. Let's lift our hearts with our hands unto the Lord in the heavens today and worship Him as we close out the service.